Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Humor in Mistakes podcast with me, McNeil. Each week we have a guest on our show to discuss mistakes, mishaps, and missteps that they made throughout life. We hope to find a wisdom and a few laughs along the way. This week I'm here with comedic performer, instructor, and a director living in Richmond, Virginia, L.E. Zarling. She's currently working on booking her one-person improv show, Wisconsin Laughing Trip. Oh, actually, I added an ING. You did. That. That's okay. Well, I want people to laugh. Are They are laughing as they listen. I mean, yeah, but it's the trip for the laughter, you know. Also, it's, uh, it's just pronounced Ellie. We can get into, like, the complexities of my name. Okay, uh, let's do it. Oh, yeah. So um, I used to perform uh, before I started transitioning. You know, there's this, like, if, if uh, you go through this part where you're just, like, starting to come out. And so kind of, like, soften the blow, I'd perform as uh, Eleanor Gasm, which is kind of like a joke <laughs> name. Okay. Uh, and then as I started realizing I was going to transition, I had a, another friend of mine who was just like, can we just call you Ellie instead of Eleanor? Because sounds like you know it's age appropriate <laughs> not like uh not like uh eleanor makes me sound like i'm 85 years old and i was like yeah but i'm gonna spell it l-e okay uh and then someone else uh, that i work with says well i already work with like three or four other le's what does the le stand for and i said i i just made it up but i guess i can make it it stands for lilith electra now but i just lilith electra lilith electra where did you come up with that i mean lilith is from the bible okay right? you know the uh the first uh you know, kick butt babe of the Bible, and then Electra's from Greek mythology. I did not know that. Oh, I need yeah. to read up on Bible. You got to get all that stuff going. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So legally, I'm changing my name to Lilith Electra Zarling, but for promotional purposes and on stage, it's just Ellie. But yeah, it's just pronounced Ellie. But that's okay. my own fault for spelling it e- L period E period. <laughs> Fair enough. So tell me, yeah, uh, who is L E? Oh man, Ellie is. Uh, Ellie is just a. Uh, I don't want to say. I, I gotta. I gotta, I tend to um, use uh, colorful descriptive. Oh, I know you we're can, on the radio. I, you had I don't the wanna, hands. Yeah, I don't want to say any words that I can't say <laughs> on the radio. But uh, you know, I'm just fearless and um, kind of just uh, do what I want. Uh, I, I don't take anything from anyone. Uh, some would call me. Uh, you know. A badass. Okay. All right. You can bleep that if you have to. <laughs> no, nah, we're good. Yeah, I would say that's uh that's the phrase that I would I would most hear that describes me. Um, You're spirit. a rebel. I am definitely a rebel. Okay. I definitely don't do what everyone else does. Fair enough. Were you <laughs> always this way? Uh, no. Uh, no. Gosh, no. I mean, if you know anyone who's uh, who's trans, they have that whole part of their life where they're trying to hide all that. Um, and it's kind of funny. I talk to people about looking back at my childhood and my previous life and it's kind of like the end of um have you ever seen the usual suspects and kevin spacey's the whole movie is him telling these lies at the end he leaves and the detective looks around the room and then sees that he was pulling all the lies from stuff around the room and i feel like that i look back at my childhood and i see stuff i'm like oh that's i did that because <laughs> i'm trying like i'm trying to hide that i'm trans or i'm i'm struggling with this because i'm trying to be this person i'm not uh like How- how did that feel like growing up being who you weren't? I mean, it's kind of like when it's when you're going through, you know, you're just miserable and struggling and you don't really know why. Like, um, I would say right around the time I was 12 or 13, I started cross-dressing when I was by myself. And so I knew that I had that and I knew that that wasn't, quote unquote, acceptable to society. So that struggle with that. And then the more I... Uh, but I've been doing some I different would, things. 
like I would, a what's that? Where is this? Where is that coming from? I don't know. It sounds like something else. Isolation chamber recently. Oh, those are so great. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Wait, that's me. Um, oh, I have your podcast still <laughs> going on in the background. <laughs> I was like, I recognize that voice. That's me. Um, I, I was uh, I was listening to it again before uh, we started here. I was like, what is that? What is that? Um. So I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, so you're you're. Does the sound of your things. voice do that? Like it just puts you in a yeah, daze. I was just like, I was like, who is that? <laughs> it sounds familiar. Um, but basically, you know, you're hiding these things and you're suppressing all this. And then uh, once you let it out, it's it's kind of like once I start. I went out in 2015. I just went out in public for the first time, cross dressed, and it was at a, a pride event in Richmond. And I was just the MC in front of like. A couple hundred thousand, you know, a couple hundred or a thousand people, whatever. And I was just like, I'm gonna go on, I'm gonna do this. And it was just incredibly freeing. And so this Eleanor Gasm person was super confident. And the more I let that out uh, through through that person, uh, I became more popular in my normal life. And then the more I did it, the more I realized this is who I really was. Yeah. How how did it feel to finally like be yourself? Because so many people, I feel that sometimes they just can't be fully themselves. Yeah in any aspect of life so how was that like you just for you going from not being able to be yourself just to being totally yourself like that's a big jump yeah well i think part of it was uh what helped me was doing improv because i could explore that stuff on stage with it being a character or it's part of the show like i I wasn't necessarily dressing up for shows but if i was on show i in a scene i could be a character who was maybe had this characteristic and so when i finally came out it was more like it was more like I've arrived. Um, whereas now I meet a lot of people, and like the first time they go out dressed or like as their true selves, you can tell they're very nervous. And I totally understand that. But yeah, I kind of had this like dipping my toes in the water and then like slowly getting in the cold water till I was accustomed to it. And then when it was time, I was like, "Ta-da! I'm here. Look at these guys. There's guys in the window watching us. Hey, yeah. bud." Yeah. <laughs> So tell me, um, so it was one like one of those things where you kept being this character, and people were like, "Oh, maybe." I think I think every the world thought it was a character. <laughs> okay, I knew it wasn't, but I kind of gave it a character name to kind of give myself that buffer zone. Okay, and then um, uh, I would say, what are we? We're December. So last December, November, I decided that I wanted to start taking hormones, and I just felt like you know what, I'm a different person when I'm when I'm. Uh, presenting this way, however you want to say it, presenting, whenever whenever I'm allowing myself to be the way I want to be, I'm completely different. And so I decided to take hormones, and I started in April, and kind of kind of just announced to everyone in July um, that that was happening. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we're talking about now, but I want to talk a little bit about the past. Sure. So let's talk about, so y- you graduated school yeah. and you started doing comedy or what, like you got oh, married no. at some point? Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm probably way older than, than you think. <laughs> I got, I graduated in 92. Okay. Got married in 93, moved to Charlottesville in 99. And then in 2003, I was like walking through, uh, the downtown mall in Charlottesville, like this little promenade, whatever you want to call it. And it was just one of those signs about like doing improv comedy at the bottom was all the phone numbers you could rip off. And so I ripped it off and called and started classes. And like the first month, month and a half or whatever, was just me and one other girl taking classes. So I got like this super intensive into it. But the person who taught was focused a lot on like 
uh, instead of being funny, it's like be emotional on stage and like let your emotions drive you. And then funny stuff's going to happen around you because you know you chose to be angry and you're going to live in this angry state no matter what's coming out around you. And so I always tell people, it's like, yeah, if you choose to be angry and people come in and they start singing happy birthday, don't get excited that happy birthday. Like <laughs> get angrier and like why are you angry because it's your birthday? Like that kind of stuff. So okay. that was kind of like the first time, like, I mean, not just being trans, but guys in general are told not to um, – access their emotions or let those emotions play and, that is very yeah. true and it's so weird uh like i'm i don't want to criticize improv in general but you see that in a lot of improv too where like the guys on stage are afraid to access their emotion they're still in they're always in joke mode uh but the ones who do it's beautiful i've i've gotten there now but yeah. before like emotions show sadness i couldn't yeah. do that like, i can't show sadness <laughs> i'm a man i can't do that like that used to be my thing I remember we had, at one practice we had this uh, where we all opened up to each other, yeah. like sat in a circle and opened up. And afterwards, I had to take like two showers. Like that's yeah. that's how bad I was a couple years ago. I was like, "We're going. Is this what pra- we're doing for practice? Talking about our feelings, right?" And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, "I'll I, come back." I never make anyone do that. <laughs> okay. I always feel that's weird to make people uh, open up like that in front of others. But I feel like if you can privately figure out ways to access your emotions. Uh, that's such a powerful thing on stage, and the audience gets it, and the audience loves it. You know, if you can really cry at an improv show, oh my <laughs> gosh, you're just like the biggest genius in the history of acting. To can people. you cry on command? Uh, thanks to hormones and uh, a recent breakup, yeah, I can cry on command. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Problem is, like, I, problem is, I only, I only do like absolute 10 crying i can't just like cry <laughs> like a two i just you can't like, i you, can't stop it either zero to 100 yeah okay okay so um what is one of the things you love most about being on stage okay uh no one ever believes me when i tell them this the only reason i started stand up is because when i'm doing stand up for five minutes like an open mic everyone has to listen to me and like how often do you get this uh, in in your family, in this country, when you talk about anyone where you just get to talk for five minutes and you don't have someone there thinking about what their reply is and waiting to interject and you're just like, I'm going to talk for five minutes and if I don't want to tell jokes, then you guys are just going to listen to whatever I want to talk about. And it's just like kind of this power that I want all of us to have just like for five minutes I'm going to express myself and that's it. Especially at paid shows where people pay to get in so they're actually listening. Right? Like, yeah, th- that is great. It's also terrifying though. <laughs> have you gotten over the terror? I have. Um, I still, I don't know if it's terror. There, If I've got like a big show, I'll still get nervous. Um, but the closer it gets to showtime, you know, the better I am. Uh, I don't like stand-up as much as I do doing my one-person show or improv. So uh, stand-up's one of those things, like, if I agree to do it, like, the closer we get to sto- the showtime, I'm just like, oh, why did I agree to do this? What am I doing? What am I thinking? I'm not going to enjoy this. And then once I get on stage, I'm like, that was amazing. I should do this more often. <laughs> so uh, I want to ask you more about stand-up. Yeah. But then I uh, thought of a question. You're one, you're, you're one person show, right? Yeah. Uh, so I went to a workshop, and said, they said everyone in, in all walks of life should just do a one-person show at some point in their lives. Yeah. Just because, like, it's the most open you can be. It's only you. You do 30 minutes. Like, everyone should hire a producer and figure out their life story for in 30 minutes. Yeah. How was that process for you, and how did you get over Or Like, are you is your one-person show, like, very vulnerable? Is it? So, um my first one person show, which was like a sketch show. I wrote a bunch of sketches 
It was called uh, Destroy the World with Me. And I basically told this story at the start about when I was in grade school. Um, my eighth grade teacher told my mom that I was bad at art and then how I took that to heart and that I didn't allow myself to be an artist and uh, stuff. And then I ended that and then I went to these sketches and that was about 30 to 40 minutes. And then I had like a little inter- video intermission where I had all these like jokes and stuff and I went and I changed. I put on makeup, got a wig on, put on a dress, came out, told the same story. But when I got to the part where he tells me that I'm a bad artist, I talked about how I've rejected that and how like I'm an amazing artist. I'm uh, an amazing improviser and uh, I want every, I, no one should ever be discouraged from doing art. Like the only way to get, of course everyone's bad at art. You know, the only way you get better is by doing it more and finding out what's the best way to express yourself. And so then the last half of the show, I had someone, I gave them a book with a, with a pencil, colored pencil set and had them draw while I was performing. I had someone do poetry. They were writing poetry. And then I got someone on stage who had never done improv, and I gave them like a two-minute improv lesson. And then we did a 15-minute two-person set together. What? Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. And it was just like, that was the end of the show. Um, was this the same show that you uh, changed someone's life and you made them into a fashion designer? No, that was uh, at a festival in January. That was um, um, my current show, Wisconsin Laugh Trip, where I kind of just improvise characters, but I make up the characters. Like I have a few characters that I do more than once, but a lot of times I'm just constantly looking for new things. And so I was out in California, and I was thrift shopping, and I found a uh, luchador mask. And so I bought it. I'm like, tonight at the show, I'm going to do a character called Luchador Life Coach. And so I put the mask on, and I just gave this impassioned speech about following your dreams. I'm like, who out there is not living their life they want? And this lady, she was like a, a legal aide or something. Paralegal. Paralegal or something, yeah. Oh, you listen to the podcast, All right? I, I, I did my research. I love now. that. I love that. And she said, uh, yeah, she said she wanted to be a costume designer. And I was just like you can just do that. There are probably people in this audience who need costume designing. And there were like 10, 50, whatever amount of people. And one of them was a burlesque dancer. And she went, they were talking afterwards. And then when I went back to uh, California this summer to the same theater, I asked them, like, is that girl going to be here? And they're like, no, she's, she's not in town this week, but she's doing costume designing now. Like she's doing it like fairly regularly, like getting work doing it. So I was just like, Look at me changing the world. <laughs> <laughs> Making things happen. Right? Okay. Yeah. So is there anything else we should discuss about you currently going on? Oh, like? I mean, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the, the comedy camp I do down in Alabama. Well, let's do it. I go down to uh, Camp Hill, which is just outside of Auburn. And apparently it's per capita has the most violent crime in the country behind only Detroit. So it's like the second most violent per capita place in the country. Do you go strapped? No, I don't. Okay. No, we do it on a farm. We like <laughs> okay. we go out and like it's several communities, but Camp Hill's the closest. And we go out and we get the kids, we bring them in, we uh, have breakfast together, I teach them, we have lunch, they get to dip in the pool and they go and we do it for 4 days. And so um, this this will be the fourth year coming up. And the first year was a lot of fun. Uh, it was oh, man, the first year I did it was that week it was like fourth of july week and um like someone got shot by cops in louisiana and then um i'm blanking on names i'm the worst i know uh, minnesota the gentleman got shot up there and then at the end of the week like like three or four cops were shot in dallas like all that happened in one week and like the counselors are all out there with the kids and just like saying a prayer and being like we got to be strong. and then i was like just give me the kids right <laughs> i was like look 
I get it. Like this sucks, but finding your voice through comedy is like a great way to to make change. And I know it doesn't seem like that. Like you watch you watch stand up comedy, like these guys are just idiots. But like stand up comedy is a great way if you can make people laugh, if you can present your ideas in a way that they'll find entertaining, that they'll listen to you, as opposed to just arguing back and forth with someone. Like I feel like part of the problem in this country is we don't have enough. Like we don't know what other people's experienced, and I get that. Just like whenever I see someone like arguing about gender, it's like, look, I don't expect you to understand what my life is like or what what my internal feelings and thoughts are but you just have to understand that i've been through it or it's just like even like mitt romney was running for president was like well if you want to start a business just ask your parents for twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> be like, I what? okay um you might be a little out of touch you know like just understand that people have had different experiences and like comedy is a great way to get people to understand your experiences well I also think comedy for me and maybe it's because I have a, a dark personality sometimes. Yeah. It's taught me to laugh at bad things that happen in my life. Oh, that's all comics. <laughs> like, oh, that's all comics. <laughs> yeah, like, um, like I tell people, I love deadbeat dad jokes. Yeah. And getting left at the YMCA and him not coming to pick me up oh, at the man. time was sad, but I can laugh at it now. Yeah. Like, the most fun I ever have is talking with other trans comics because we just talk about all like if I talk I'm, oh man I'm always talking about getting murdered by rednecks really and everyone everyone is just like that's not that's not funny you know you shouldn't talk about it. I'm like well you should make sure it doesn't happen like you can, you can help pass laws but all my all the trans comics oh my god we sit together and we're just making awful awful you know black humor and just laughing and if anyone was there they'd be like you people are sick <laughs> exactly like this is what we deal with this is how that's how comics deal with stuff i mean you had a trauma when you were a kid you know clearly i'm just judging by the few things you said you and i had similar odds uh, exactly. like yeah you have to you have to find humor in it just to keep yourself from going crazy yeah i like i have this one story where so i was in middle school uh this white girl invited me over for dinner but she left out a part about me and my uh, appearance uh, <laughs> and just the look on the parents face uh, and then after us uh, afterwards us having to break up but like to me that story is funny like me slowly realizing that they were upset the fact that i was black yeah like, like it's oh, just man. that whole story to me is funny like yeah. it's a it's a sketch yeah it's, a, it's an absolute <laughs> sketch um when I came out to my sister this this uh, summer, we talked for like 90 minutes, and one of the things I just admitted to her is like, you know, I don't have any like happy memories from childhood. Like, I can't think of like family that would be like, oh yeah, remember that day that this happened? And she goes, no, you there was this and this, and I was just like, no, that was me, like making like doing stuff to make you happy. Like I was completely desperate. You know, we had uh. Do you remember when uh, I'm older than you? When I was a kid, strawberry quick had just come out. You know the powder you put in the milk, and now you get strawberry milk. You talking about like the bunny rabbit? Yeah, the, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's a strawberry quick. There's a strawberry quick. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, good. I did not. I did not know about but strawberry quick. I, my family couldn't afford that. Okay. And like we had a friend, and they could afford. It. So my sister comes home, and she's sad. Cause they, and I'm like, well, we can just make that home. And I poured milk with uh, cherry Kool Aid. <laughs> And she was just like, no, I remember that. That was so happy. Like, you just made that off the spot. I was like, no, that was just me desperately trying to come up with stuff so that you could have a happy childhood, you know? It wasn't like, it wasn't like the thrill of my life. Ah, the poor things. Like, yeah. the, the things you did to not be poor. You know what? I learned uh, ketchup and mayonnaise does not make ranch dressing. Really? It doesn't, technically. But I, that's what we use. <laughs> so uh, this one, this one I've been reminded of lately is this uh, this cheap pizza my mom used to make. She had like an old metal meat grinder, and she would put spam in it. 
and then get like we'd have like the big blocks of the free uh, government American cheese, and she'd run them through the meat grinder. So they'd come out with this like cheese and meat mixture that's just spam and American cheese, and then put it on like half a hamburger bun and then bake it and oh. just call them like personal pizzas. Okay, right? And I, I was just like that. Honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking I could really go for one of those right now. It Dude, sounds super good. My mom made the best spam sandwiches. Like right? we used to fry them. Oh man, and so mayonnaise. Good. You had to use Miracle Whip. That was the only thing we got to <laughs> buy a brand name was Miracle Whip because it made the spam sandwiches that much better. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. yeah, it's just like all the all the weird things from when you're a kid where you're just like your mom's just trying to scrape by. <laughs> and just like yeah. You know, sometimes I, I, you know how they say what you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Sometimes I, I didn't, I wish I didn't know that spam wasn't good for you. Like. Yeah. Like, Honestly, there are times when I walk past the, I walk past in the supermarket and I'm just like, I can just get a can right now. <laughs> like, if it's no good, I just won't eat it, but I just yeah. want to try it. Or you go to like, like a, uh, a few years ago, I went on vacation. I saved up and went to Hawaii. I don't know if you know about Hawaii. Like they go nuts for spam. There. I did not know that. Oh my gosh. It's the thing in there. And um, you go in there and they have like, I don't know if you've ever gone to Amazon, just church spam flavors. I haven't. There are like tons of flavors of spam and you go to Hawaii and it's like a whole aisle with all the flavors. Like you can get like jalapeno spam. I just like, that sounds really good. I've never had Just it. sliced thin and oh man. I'm supposed to be eating healthy in 2019, Ellie. I know. I started. I started at the end of November. I've already lost 12 pounds. Oh so, wow! Yeah. Okay. Well, you're not helping me at all. Well, I mean, if I can resist, you can resist. You're. Are, what are you talking about? You're like one of the healthiest looking improvisers I know. No, no. I no. see. I'm on the decline. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm willing to accept that 2018 was a bad year mentally for me. So I started slacking. Okay. You know. So I'm back on the come up, though. I'm back uh, on the. Come- that's all that matters. That's all right. So, um, so you uh, you do this workshop for every summer? Oh uh, yeah, this camp. It's like okay, a four camp. day camp in Alabama. Uh, and the first two years, like I said, I was just had feeling out. And then last year, they were like, "We'd really like to focus this on leadership because it's actually they actually do camps like four camps a year. My camp, they do a cowgirl camp where the girls can like ride horses and stuff, and they do uh, another camp star, which is um, which is the name of the camp, Camp Star. And they uh, they take kids on field trips. And if you if the kids come long enough. Then when they get a, then they get to eighteen, they can become a counselor, and so a lot of these kids want to be counselors. So gearing my my improv class towards not only comedy, obviously, but also like finding your voice and like leading, and how sometimes you know being a leader isn't always just having all the answers and telling people what to do. Sometimes being a leader is listening and having empathy for people that that are looking up to you and like listening to other people's ideas and helping us all figure out what the best answer is. And so. Last year's camp went really well. And then this year, they're like, this year we want to have a show at the end. And I'm like, I have like, you know, four days and like two to three hours a day. It's like, <laughs> we'll do what we can. You know, uh, we'll do it. I, I want to focus on, for these kids, like um, very simple tropes. Like, who are some people in your neighborhood that you know that would be funny? Like, what if so-and-so was the president? Or, uh, you know, put these people in situations or like um, critiquing critiquing your your neighborhood like what are things that happen in your community that um everyone does that that's stupid and sort of critique? my my go-to is always the key and peel sketch with the baseball hats okay where i don't know if you've seen this one they come in and they have like, the guy comes out the first time he's got the tags on yeah it, and the next guy's got the bag on it yeah and then at the end when he's got the lady <laughs> on a thing yeah sewing the whole hat. so like things like that it's like you know what can you do how can you make fun of things like that? How can you make fun of um, the way you're treated by these people? Like I said, um, if you can, if you can 
give someone something to watch that shows how they're wrong, but it's presented in a funny manner, then you know, that's something to be like, you know what, I never looked at this from situation. Uh, I should really consider that. That's funny. As opposed to getting in someone's – not that sometimes you do have to get in someone's face. Sometimes but you got to punch a racist in the face. Sometimes, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can write a sketch to get Richard Spencer to not be – and you know, that guy deserves to be punched in the face. All that. Maybe I shouldn't. This is going to be – this is live. We're going to get a bunch – I'm going to get – No, um, you're fine. Okay. No know. Nazis listening? Well, probably. But yeah, okay. sometimes you got to punch someone in the face. Everybody deals – learns differently. I mean, you know. I don't know any trans people that get, deserve to get punched in the face, but they're getting punched an awful lot. So I guess, yeah, <laughs> fair turn enough. About fair play. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah. So from what you tell me about your childhood, from what you tell me about how you used to be, yeah. Not you've made such a transition hey. to a hey, there you go to a confident transgender. Yeah. And so, how does that happen? Like, and like, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, if I knew how. <laughs> I, I mean, I tell this a lot of times to people, uh, especially if they're transitioning. But whatever it is in your life, it's before you start, you don't know what the journey is. You know, um, like I said, when I first started, when I was uh, cross-dressing, I was like, I don't, I don't see myself on hormones. And the more I did, I was like, no, this is what's right. You know, like your path reveals itself to you as you're traveling it. But until you start, you know. You don't know. Like, people are just like, how do you start stand-up? It's like, just go to an open mic and see what happens, you know? Um, you have to, you have to, especially in, in stand-up, you have to fail to learn. Like, you, you don't know how to write a joke. You can, you can, I taught a class teaching you how to write jokes. Like, it's a writing class, and that helped. But I'm like, all this class is going to get you is through the six months where everyone hates you because you don't know what you're doing. So in eight weeks, we'll get to you where you're not hated when you tell jokes, you know, like, but everything else, just learning, it's learning. It's so much stuff you didn't even think about. You're thinking about writing jokes, but it's like, what's your personality on stage? You know? And that's not something you can be like, I'm going to be this. Like you have to go up there and you have to live it and you have to find out what's come for you. And the weird part is you don't even notice that you're changing. You know, it happened to me one time. uh, I've been doing stand up, and I was like struggling. I mean, I People, yeah, you know, I was good. I was leading the scene, and I was decent, but I was still, I was still very stilted and stuff. And one, I must have been like two or three years, and I ran into this guy. He saw me perform. He was an older comic. He's like, "You've changed a lot." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You just like you're just in charge or confident or whatever it is." And it's it, like I said, it's not something I can, I can't teach you. I've had people like, "How do I get to? How do I get confident like you?" It's like, oh, you go out there and you fail, and then you get this part where. You're not taking that fear of failure on stage with you, you know? Like, when you get on stage, you're just like, I'm going to let it rip, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's crazy because, like, I didn't know what you were talking about until, <laughs> like, because I've been slack on stand-up for a while. And then I there was, there was a girl who I saw do a set, like, three years ago. And then I saw her do the same set, like, recently. And it was so much funnier, but it was the same jokes. Oh, yeah. And it was just like... The way she moved in her yes. trend. And it's like, you just got to keep doing it. Yeah. And oh, like every time you see a new person where they're, they're always like shuffling. I'm like, don't move. <laughs> Hold your, like there's so much power. I think we don't realize how powerful each of us are. And I'm coming to terms with like how powerful my words are. Like when I talk to people, what I say to people, it like really resonates. And I'd never thought I'd be that kind of person. But like if you're a stand up and you just stand behind that mic 
and you just stand strong and you tell your jokes, that's so much better than like someone who's holding like and playing playing with the cord with their right hand and holding on the left and then looking at their feet and just shuffling on stage. If you move, it should be with a purpose. Don't just <laughs> shuffle around, you know? That used to be me. No, um, that used to be we everyone. Had a, <laughs> we had a workshop. And I went up there, and I thought I did really good, and it was with uh, Eddie Brill. I took that workshop. <laughs> and he was like, I couldn't – because I, I used to move the mic stand a lot. Yes. And so, like, after my five minutes, I was like – everybody laughed in the class. And he's like, I couldn't stop watching you move the mic stand. Yeah. And, like, it, it was it was good feedback because I just used to yeah. move it back and forth. You lean on it, <laughs> like, all that stuff. He yeah. was the first one. Um, he – I took that workshop, and I did my five minutes – and he's just like, you opened with that bit about it was like self-deprecating humor. It's like, you're super funny and smart. Like, don't do that. Just like come in and hit us with what you've got. And it kind of it kind of struck to me. And I try to pass that on to people that I talk to. I'm like, get rid of that self-deprecating. Unless you're like really good at it, like get rid of that. Like the audience wants to love you. See, yeah. people people don't pay money or go out to a comedy show to hate the comics. Like if they hate you, you made them hate you. <laughs> you, I, 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 one thing I always say is, um. When you're on stage, you're saying two things. You can say, I'm God, or I'm sorry. And just never say you're sorry. Like, I I hate comics tell a bad joke doesn't go over, and then they're like, oh, man, I guess that wasn't that good. Or like, oh, you guys didn't get that. It's like, just move on. Just, you know? Yeah, don't comment just on your set. Move on, and then go back and rewrite the joke. Or yeah. get it out of your set, you know? It's funny because sometimes, by the way, I'm sorry I forgot to turn on the lights in the radio no, station. No, it's okay, man. This is awesome <laughs> mood here. I like this. Because um, it was light out when we first started. But um, yeah, sometimes I'm like, do I need to offer you therapy after like after a comic gets done because they've just ripped yeah. themselves apart for thirty minutes? I'm like, it's, do you like yourself? Yeah, like, <laughs> just I don't know. I feel like you should you should you've got five minutes to tell the world what you think and you know make it worth our time. Uh, I would you if you went to a party would you would you go like you're at a party and everyone's talking and some guy comes up to you and he's just like drinking and talking about what a what an awful person he is? <laughs> be like, I'm gonna go talk to someone who's fine. Yeah. Like. I don't want this here, you know? Yeah. Uh, so now yeah. it's time to get to the part where we talk about some of the mistakes that you've made throughout life. Oh, man. This is good. And uh, the goal of this is to laugh. I hope you can laugh at yeah. the mistakes now. But hopefully someone will hear and be like, you know, Ellie did this. You know, uh, she went around punching people in the face in her, in her 30s. So... I never did that. Well, maybe I don't know. So, but if if she did that and went to jail for ten years, I'll be all right. I did go to jail for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's funny that this is about mistakes because one thing I try to impress upon people is that, especially as performers, uh, you should embrace the idea that you can fail. And the only way you get better is if you have that bad show or you failed. And you then you like, you can when you fail. The only way it's a failure is if you don't learn anything from it. If you don't make yourself better, uh, I never trust anyone who never says they had a bad show. That's a lot in improv. You meet these improv teams and like they've always had a good show. It's like mm, I'm going to guarantee you probably never had a good show. Or you've never taken a risk creatively. Right. Oh, I'm all about taking risks. Um, my last show, my last time I did my one person show was in Richmond. So I have like when I'm in Richmond, I have people I can access to. And I had a friend. Um, I'm like, set up your drum kit. And I'm just gonna open with you drumming and me doing this weird spoken word thing. And it was like amazing. It wasn't funny. I thought maybe I sabotaged my set because uh, maybe the crowd was a little deflated. But it was totally worth it. And that comes to the story of my failure. If you're ready for it, I'm ready. So uh, you know, I was um, young. I was probably doing comedy less than two years. And a bunch of us in Charlottesville signed up to do a um, a comedy contest in Wilmington, North Carolina. 
Shout out to Wilmington. Yeah, I love Wilmington. And so we go down there, and I, does this, I open with this joke. It's only the second time I told it. And the first time I told it, it was like in an open mic, and it was a bunch of comics, and all the comics laugh. So if you know, my first lesson here is if the comics are the only ones laughing, it's not funny. <laughs> all right, comics, <laughs> comics are messed up. Uh, do you want to hear the joke? I, I, I'm down. All right, so it's uh, it was um, I improvised it the first time I told it because someone had said her parents were coming to see her, and I get on stage. And I'm like, oh, you know, so and so said her parents are coming. My parents never got a chance to see me perform. Um, you know, they passed uh, before I really got into comedy. In fact, uh, yeah, they died on 9/11, <laughs> and um, I feel bad. Because I totally could have stopped them, you know, like, just, I should have just one day went up and said, hey, mom, dad, you're taking this conversion to Islam way too seriously. <laughs> and so, yeah, the comics laugh. So I'm at this, I'm at this, this comedy contest. I go, I'm telling this story and it is just dead silence. Absolute dead silence. At one point when I said my parents died 9-11, there was a lady in the back of the room, North Carolina, Southern North Carolina, you just hear go, Oh my God! <laughs> and I just plowed ahead, and uh, you might have been in the you might have been in the audience because the only person who laughed was an, like a, a black comic who was sitting right up front. <laughs> this guy, I could have reached out and touched him. He laughed. He laughed so hard it made it so uncomfortable. I was like, okay, this. I think part of it he was laughing at the fact that no one else was laughing. Well, see, I laugh at that. I also <laughs> laugh at I, – I like to think what was your mind state when you were writing yeah. the jokes. That makes me laugh. Yeah. I laugh at your audacity to say the joke. Yeah. Like, because sometimes I'll hear a comic tell a joke that is like – just just not a terrible joke that is like – if you live in today, you shouldn't be writing that type of joke. Yeah. And the fact that you wrote it and said it on stage makes me laugh. So <laughs> not the actual joke. <laughs> and so then the rest of my set got no laughs. You know, it was just like no one. Like I lost the audience on that. And then when the votes came in, I somehow got three votes. And this guy comes up to me afterwards like, my wife and I voted for you. We thought you were really smart and funny. It's like, well, thank you. I'm sorry I sabotaged everything with that 9-11 joke. But the things I learned from it. Uh, one is uh, when you go in front of an audience, they don't know who you are. Like if I if I do an open mic in Richmond, all those guys know who I am. So I can come out of the box and say something crazy and be like, that's Ellie B and Ellie. That's funny. But if people don't know you, if you're traveling the country, they have no idea who you are. So you have 30 seconds, a minute to let them know who you are and let them know what the show is about. Because you might have jokes that are funny. Uh, but if they weren't expecting that from you, then it, it kind of throws a monkey wrench in their brains. Audience, they're not, they're not stupid, but you know, they're just like everyone else. They have expectations. So if like, you're going to be um, – if you're going to start out with a bunch of political jokes and then halfway through you're going to just do gross-out jokes, like, you better be really good to get the audience to shift gears like that. And there True. are a few people are like that. Um, so it, like, that kind of introduced me to that is the idea of introducing yourself to the audience – and uh, making sure that you get them on your page. They need to know what I'm about. Uh, two is that uh, getting that laugh early. Anytime I see like like an open micer has like five minutes and their first two minutes is setting up their first bad joke. And then that joke doesn't go over. It's like you're just wasting everyone's time. Like come out and hit us hard with something like just – even if it's just like a like – a, uh, I, you know, I was, at a, I was at the World Series of Comedy, the finals, mm-hmm. and a comic just came out. And we were in Vegas, and it was just like all 
like 50, 60-year-old white people, and this dude from L.A. came out, and he was just like, good evening, white people, and got this huge <laughs> laugh. And for the rest of the night, like, he was – he got it because they were, they, they were on his side. The guy was he was about. It didn't matter if they didn't agree or if they thought it was, contra- or it was political and they didn't agree with him. They knew that this guy was fun. And he wanted them to have fun. And that's the thing. It's like people are in these shows to have fun. So uh, get them to have fun with you. And then they'll follow you wherever you want. I've had to learn to do the quick jab. Because yeah. I like to kind of do storytelling comedy. Yeah. And uh, I noticed that if I took 30 seconds or 45 seconds to set up my first joke and it didn't land. Oh. First of all, I've lost the crowd. Yep. Second of all, I'm having a heart attack at this point. Because I'm like, first of all, you're supposed to be laughing at that. <laughs> Number one. Right. That, that, is my, yeah. that is my intro to everything else. Yeah. And then, yeah, I get in my head a lot. Um, so... How did you you you've gone from starting out comedy to being yeah. a respected comedian? Like you said, you're in a 2015. No, no one ever said I was respected. Uh, <laughs> you were in the 2015 finals. The finals. Uh, you know how many people make the finals of the World Series of comedy? Like I don't know. A hundred people. I did not know. So that. I guess I'm one of the top 100 people who decided to sign up for the World Series <laughs> of comedy that year. <laughs> no, that was, it, it did. It felt good. And yeah, I feel like um, stand up comedy. I don't do as much. I feel like improv wise that. You know, I've got a. I'm starting to build like a reputation in certain pockets of the country. Uh, I feel like I can go to Florida and work in like nine or ten theaters and just drive around and do stuff. And uh, but yeah, improv's improv's such a hard go because you know stand up like if as you get better, people are like, oh, we've got a gig. It pays twenty bucks. You want to come and do it? Like improv is never like, yeah, we'll give you fifty bucks to come up and do your thing for nights. Like no, we don't have any money. Yeah, so zero. Yeah, so it's like having those workshops to fall back on. And so part of it is like I'm a, I'm a good teacher. Um, I enjoy teaching. I have a good rapport with students. Um, and that's part of the thing I also learned from that that show in North Carolina, is that. Uh, I do have, and I take no credit for this. I have no idea why I'm this way, but I have a I have a charisma and a personality about me that, like, if I host an improv show, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where uh, they go, "Hey, we need a suggestion," and the audience just yells something dumb. Uh, like, I'll just go, I'll just, I will literally say, "That's dumb. I need another suggestion," and the audience will eat it up. And I've seen other people do it, and they go, "That's dumb. We want to say," and the whole audience will be like, "What? What? You said you were going to take our suggestion." So I don't know what it is about me that I can get away with that. You um, you have the it factor. I had someone come up to me after a festival. He saw my show, and he's like, he's this old man. He's, he's sat through every show at the festival. And he comes up to me and goes, you have this thing where you are, are mean to people, but they like it because you're fun and we're enjoying it. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's exactly what it is. Like, yeah. It's the it factor. Like, some comics can say things. They can, you can't hate on anybody, but, like, some comics can do things that certain can't. Some can say jokes that certain can't. Like, uh, oh, there was a, there's this one guy around here, Alex Garrison. He's probably one of the funniest people around yeah. in the triangle. But he has this one joke that I swear if anybody – it's about black people. But if anybody else were to tell it, oh, yeah, yeah. he would – they would get yeah. – they would have to find some security yeah. after the show. But the way he delivers it and says it in such a straight – yeah, and I've seen him pull it off. And I'm like, I can't believe he just did yeah. it. It is so funny. And a lot of that is developing your personality on yeah. stage and being like – being able to end like so many people think like interacting with the audience is like I gotta do crowd work and I gotta ask the crowd what they do for a job make a joke about their job it's like no you just gotta have rapport like I'm just the kind of person like if I'm at a party and you end up talking with me for an hour it'd be a great conversation we'd have a blast you know uh, honestly I think that's something comics should practice though is just talking to random people because it it gets those skills up of talking to people and 
being more cordial. Yeah, and listening when yeah. you talk. I feel like too often comics are just always like trying to blurt out their next punchline. It's like, no, have patience with it. Like I said, you got five minutes. And if, you, if you're up there for five minutes and you tell like two funny jokes and the rest of the time the audience was engaged and had a good time listening to you, that's a successful set. Regardless of, you know, like whatever the funny bone wants laughs per minute or whatever. I don't care about that. Yeah. You know. So one of the things uh, while I was listening to your podcast is you said uh, your goals, yeah. uh, uh, some of your goals were to make it, what was it? Uh, it was one of your goals was to make it more comfortable for people following you. So uh, for transgenders, uh, uh, women, yeah. like to to get on stage. And yeah. that's why you like teaching. Yeah. Um, how how are you accomplishing those goals? And as you see those things happen, how does that feel? I don't know if I'm accomplishing them just yet, but I'm trying to. Well, one thing I'd like to do is um, give people the tools. And this was a, um, you know, like I said, people of color, women, uh, LGBTQ people who are on stage. And let's be, let's be honest, like improv is still just a white dude's thing for the most part. I mean, there was like the improvised Shakespeare in Chicago just started to allow women to audition this year and it's like wait this has been going on and they haven't allowed women that's unbelievable and so so often you see like hey we have to treat everyone with respect and we have to treat everyone to dignity and like hey white dudes hey white dudes treat us with respect and dignity and i'm just like you know what how about this we're just going to make things uncomfortable for you as you're trying to make it for us i get so many women who come up to me and they're just like there's this guy in every scene. He wants us to be dating, and he wants me to, to have sex with him. It's like, I have to yes-and him. Like, how do I do that? It's like, what? yes-anding doesn't mean you have to have sex with him. Yes-anding means is like, I agree. You want to have sex, right? Yeah. There, you've yesed him. And now your and is like, but you're disgusting, and last time we had sex, you could barely get erect, and so we're not going to have it. And just flip it back on him, you know? I feel like... um. You like, might have PTSD about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, then he should have brought it up. You know. Uh, but yeah, I want I want everyone to understand the power that comes with improv. You know, we were talking about before the show is how like I kind of did not have any control in my life, and then once I started having improv, it's like okay, in this scene, I control me. I'm autonomous. I can do whatever I want. But then, as I, as you become a bigger performer, you can control what's going on around you. Like if you've got if you're forceful enough, you've got people reacting to you, and that kind of just spilled over into my regular life. So I want people to realize like, don't go on stage like, uh, you know, like a leaf being battered by the wind, and you're just gonna go where you're yes handed to. It's like, go out there like a world beater and declare what you're about and make everyone yes and to you. You know, that's you're still playing by the games. I'm not. I've never. I do not go on stage with my own idea of what this show's about or what. The, I don't go on stage with like in this scene you know what's going to happen there are aliens in the backyard and I'm the dad and you're the mom and there's I go out there and I'm like I'm fearless and I'm mad and whatever comes up I just play fearless and mad it could be I'm a kindergarten student who doesn't know his alphabet true right but I'm going to be fearless about it and I'm going to be I'm going to be whatever I chose so like I've had people do that too like oh what if I chose that I was a fireman and then they started the scene. It was like Queen Queen Arthur, you know, Queen Queen Arthur, whatever. King Arthur's court. It's like you can still have all the attitudes and attributes of a fireman. Like, don't make everything so specific. And so I'd like, I want people to go on stage and realize how everything you think is limiting about improv because you're relying on other people is actually freeing. 
because they can say what you want. All you have to do is react to what they're saying. Very true. You don't have to do what they're telling you to do. You know? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's more about listening, but you can make choices in that. Yeah. While listening. I'm going to make my, I've, I've made my choices. Uh, I mean, oftentimes I'll make a choice before I go on stage. Um, I can make, I can make an emotional choice before I get on stage and just now I'm in that situation. Uh, I like watching movies. And, uh, one time I went on and I was like today in one scene, I'm just going to be, uh, Mitch Hedberg. And so I went on stage. I was like, in my mind, I'm Mitch Hedberg. And this girl comes out and we're two high school students who are doing chemistry lab together. And now she's doing chemistry lab with Mitch Hedberg, you know? Uh, so it's like, you can do, you could pre, you can preload all that and you can react out of that. And no one can force you what to do. But I think I think we get drilled into us is that it's yes and. If if I say it, we have to do it. It's like, no, if you say it, I have to agree that that's a reality. But I don't have to do anything. It's just like your regular life. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, especially here in Carborough, you guys know what it's like uh, with one guy being in charge of a theater and how that, <laughs> how that works. I mean, that's no, that is that's a prevalent thing where sure. you get this thing where it's like, this is the person at the top. We all have to do what this person says. And it's like, no, we're all, honestly, improv should be anarchy. And like anyone who's running a theater should just be like trying to be, trying to like beg people to come, come perform my theater. You know, we do this as opposed to like this. It's always like one person at the top and everyone's like around this person like they know everything about improv and it's like no one knows anything about improv very true it's, it's, it's a made up it's, it, we're just making things <laughs> up we're not doing it. people like improv seems so hard I'm like improv is super easy you're just making stuff up very you know? true so I, I'm, I'm trying to fa- phrase this question correctly but one of the things you touched on yeah. is um, male things being ran by white males yeah so if I'm someone that's trying to be inclusive and trying to learn yeah. but may not necessarily know all the proper lingo or how to go about it but I'm willing to learn yeah how do I go about that process like if I was to come to you so like for example me yeah. I do, I've never had a transgender on the yeah. show like I you can, I stop, just, you can stop calling me a, a transgender. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. And, and that's one of the hesitations. I was like, am I going to say the wrong thing? I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm more than willing to let people learn. You can call me a trans lady. Okay. A sexy trans lady. Is that, is that the proper term? I don't know. That's what I like. Okay. You can just call me, I'm also just like. I'm You're just, Ellie? I'm, I'm Ellie. I'm a girl. Okay. You know, whatever it is. Okay. You know, that's what it is. Um, but I'm also not against, um, yeah, a trans makes it sound like. I'm something. Okay. It's like, I'm just a trans lady. Okay. So uh, how does someone go about, like, w- if they wanted to learn and be more inclusive, yeah. how would they go about doing that? Well, I think part of the problem is uh, most of it is just, like, listening, first of all. Uh, you know, I go down to this camp in Alabama, and after I did the first time, the lady who ran the camp is like, this is before I was transitioning, she's like, you're probably the first white guy they've ever had a positive experience with who wasn't a coach. So it's like, how are you making yourself available uh, without presenting yourself as someone who has the answers or is here to save everyone? Like, I, I do this because I love doing it, and I do it because when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I wish there was someone who was like, you can do this comedy stuff for a living. So that's the, the, the only reason I do it is this, this person met me and asked me to do it, and I love working with kids, and so I'm doing it. I'm not down there because I'm like, I want them to make a movie about me where I'm like Sandra Bullock, and I just, <laughs> oh my God, I saved a bunch of black children with comedy. No, I want, I, want them, I want them to be able to find their voice and to have as much fun, and I wish someone had done that for me. Um, with, a, with regards to improv, and this is weird. I've had this conversation um, several times recently with people. It's like, 
you can't even have this conversation without someone getting defensive. And so basically it's not like you don't have to do much, but it's like, well, you say you're inclusive, but how are you promoting your events? How are you promoting your classes? Like, well, we put it on Facebook. Well, you know, all your Facebook friends are just the same white people that are already uh, that are already your friends. So are you reaching new audiences? Like, what are you doing to bring uh, people of color into your show? What are you doing to get um, LGBTQ people in your, in, your, in your theater just to see your shows? And then if you do have them in your, your theater, how are you making them feel welcome? And I don't necessarily do that, but it's, it's um, you know, I always feel like it just seems like a weird thing. Is like, hey, we've got this, we've got this black guy. <laughs> how, do we, how do we make him feel welcome? It's like, uh, you know what? All of us just want the same. Every, everyone in America just wants the same thing. We just want to live happy, healthy lives. We want things to be better for our family. So there's not some combination where you have to figure out what do black people want? What do gay people want? It's like they just want to be treated like they belong here. You know, so how hard is that? Um, and then being open to their ideas. And this kind of goes with that top-down worship we just talked about. It's like there's the one guy at the top. It's like, well... Talk to talk to your your um, your your gay cast members. Like, what 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 is ask them and listen to them. What is happening here that is that that you feel is keeping other gay people from coming? What can we do to to help you guys shine? And you should really talk about that with all your performers. But specifically, reach out to these um, these underrepresented groups and be like, what can we do to to make you to give you an opportunity to shine? Um, you know, I hear all the times like mm, trans voices are so important. It's like you can you can say that, but no one's ever no one's ever done anything. And I was like, these guys think trans voices are important, and that's not a criticism. I mean, I do festivals, and those people love me, and I love them. But I'm also like, my show's good, and I'm a fun performer. But yeah, it's more than just like paying lip service to thing. It's like more than trying to dictate what's going on. It's like meet with those performers and ask them. Just blunt, bluntly ask them and listen to what their concerns are. Uh, if you've got a theater and you've got like, you know, like four or five house teams, and on those four and five house teams you've got two black people, you know, maybe talk to those two black people. And be like, hey, what could we do to do this? Because I feel like going back to like improvs just being like a bunch of stale white dudes. Uh, there, you'll watch improv, and you'll you could watch a whole night of house teams, and it's just like we just watch the same thing over and over again. It's like three teams of eight to ten dudes uh, doing a montage of scenes, but and maybe one group was better than the other, and that was it. But there was nothing particularly creative or different that made them stand out from each other. And um, I feel like bringing in um, bringing in people of color, bringing in uh, LGBTQ people is going to bring uh, a vision to your work that you're not going to see. You know, sometimes to grow, you have to be able to hear people say you're doing this wrong and you have to be open to that. Um, one thing's always funny, I find it hilarious that in every improv theater I know teaches corporate classes, <laughs> but no improv theater I know runs themselves based on what they teach at those corporate classes. You know, at those corporate classes like, "Hey, we're all a team, we're all in this together. We're going to listen to all our ideas." And using yes and, yes and, we're going to listen to all the ideas and come up with the best solution. But every improv theater I run into is there's one person who founded it, and everyone kind of revolves around them. Uh, not everyone is bad. I, I've talked to some of them. I'm like, they're making a concerted effort to, like, early on get other 
instructors in and raise people to be leaders and help them help lead it. But yeah, get like a situation we have here where it was like for 15 years that dude was just the dude and everyone just kind of wrote. And you now, now permission. Now, yeah, and now I can say I didn't think he was that good an improviser. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, why is everyone kissing this guy's butt? <laughs> Very true. It's like. Uh, <laughs> It, yeah, it was. You had to. Ask Sorry, you permission. caught me off there. Oh, no, I, no, no, I, no. I go on a rant on that all the time. No, you had to ask permission. Um, you know, ideas weren't taken. Yeah, and and I always think that even new people have good ideas because they're seeing it from a different way. Well, yeah. they're not already lost in the weeds yeah. of what improv is. It's like after you've taken four four eight week classes, you're already lost in the the, the thought presses of this theater. Yeah. Here's what we do: we get a suggestion, and for 20 minutes we do a bunch of scenes, and then we hope cleverly to tie it up at the end, <laughs> and that's it. Uh, yeah, I've been at shows where I'm like, well, no one laughed. At, why are we doing it this way if no one's laughing? But I can't, you know. Oh, well. oh man, no, I'm very unpopular when it comes to opinions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I told you that there was a surprise. Are we already at the surprise? Uh, well, we're getting close to the hour. I got a couple more questions for you, but okay. I do want to get the surprise okay. out of the way. And the way that I do this show is I have the guests do a motivational speech. Oh, yeah. Okay. I uh, put on some motivational music, and then uh, you give your speech. Like act like you're talking to a high school or, or whoever you want to give a motivational speech to. You're now at a TED talk. Let me get some water. How, much, how long do I got to talk? Uh, you got about a minute and a half. I think I can talk for 90 seconds. <laughs> All right. Or you can stop it early. I'll cut the music right. off. You just give okay. me the sign. All right. So when you hear the music, you start. Sure. You know, the world wants you to fail the world doesn't believe in you you're going to have ideas and the world's going to tell you that you can't do it you're going to come up with something that you consider innovative and people will line up to tell you why it won't work but you know what you can do anything you want there is no comedy police that's going around telling you how to be a comic right there's no big book of improv laws that we all have to follow to be a great improviser and even if even once you're away from you're away from being an improviser let's say you're just you're a cashier at walmart you know what you hate your job. I get it. I, I was I was an hourly manager at Office Depot, and my life sucked. <laughs> but I could still have that time when I wasn't at Office Depot, all right? And I could grow my life that way. There are people out there who control parts of your life, your boss, your parents, your family. But there's always that time that you have for yourself. And you can do whatever you want in that time. You can make your life whatever you want it to be. And I'm living proof because right now I own a dirty bomb. <laughs> <laughs> was that really 90 seconds, man? Uh, I can't talk. It, it was. It oh, was. Yeah. I liked it because I told you to act like you're talking to a school and you let off with, first of all, the world wants you to fail. Okay. Like, no hello, no, no. hi. No. <laughs> just going to hit them with. I'm going to jump right in. I only got 90 seconds. <laughs> We ain't got time for high. You want to know about me, read your graduation brochure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, anyone listening, I am available to speak at high school and college graduations this spring. You know, give me a call. Hey, do it. Do yeah. it. Yeah.
<laughs> you're going to give them the real from the jump. I mean, kids kids smell when you're lying to them. <laughs> Just tell kids the truth. Like, you know, will everything be all right? It's going to be as all right as you can make it be. You know, all you can worry about is the stuff you can control. And then there's no need to worry because you're in control. How do you get to that point, though? Because everybody likes to worry. Um... I mean, I'm gonna be real honest with you. I mean, I still worry. I mean, I'm buying a house, and I'm totally paranoid about uh, what's gonna happen with it. But I really can't control that. Like, I'm buying the house, so all I can do is live in it, and what happens, I'll deal with it. Congrats. Yeah, that's a big Uh, commitment. Yeah. When I started taking hormones, my therapist was like, "So you have any questions? Anything you worried about? Here are some of the side effects." I'm like, "No, I want to do this. I'm gonna take it, and anything that happens, I'll deal with when it happens." Like worrying about a side effect. you know, isn't going to make the side effect uh, not happen. Uh, being afraid of something doesn't make you any less sa- any less safe or any more safe. Fair enough. Yeah, I know I'm hardcore. When I say <laughs> hey, you're a rebel. You, you uh, go against the grain. You I swim do. upstream. All those things. <laughs> I do it all. Um, so we might have to have you for a part two because we're almost at the end of the hour. Oh my gosh, I would totally be in a part two. You would. Okay, yeah. I've done that with a couple of people where we just ran out of time and we had to have a part two. But and the reason I want to uh, start wrapping up is because I want you to talk about your Patreon. Oh yeah. So um, as you can probably gather from our conversation, I do a lot of traveling for uh, festivals, which don't often pay a lot, or if they pay at all. So. Um, as a trans performer, I feel like it's important for me to get out there, and I'd like to raise some money to help do that. I also am trying to do workshops for uh, trans and non-binary people to help them get involved in improv, and I don't want to charge for those. I mean, I'm older. I'm almost 50, so I've got a job, and I'm a trans person who's a little more comfortable. But if you're a trans and you're like 18, 19, 20, like getting a job is not the easiest thing. So I like to provide these classes for free, and the Patreon is just a way to help with that. But also a way to connect with me. Like if you really liked what you are tonight, like my Patreon is like – the, the benefits are super fun. Like, even at the lowest level, there's a private Facebook group where I'll be putting up essays and videos and keeping in touch with you. And if you decide to support me a little more, I have stuff where um, I just repaired one, one of my mom's old typewriters. And so I'm hand typing letters to people if you oh. donate a certain amount. So, uh, yeah, I really am big about, like, creating that bond with people who like my work and come to my show. So this is a great way um, – I, I hate asking for like support me, but it's like a great way to like get to know me and bond and like see what I'm all about. Maybe get a little note of support yourself for me. So you have the old typewriter? Yeah, I've got an old typewriter. You just go to patreon.com slash Zarling. My last name is Zarling. That's Darling with a Z instead of a D. Okay. Yeah. So what do you want to leave the people with? What are, what are your final words? My final words are I love everyone within the sound of my voice. And I want you to believe in yourself and believe in your ability to do whatever you set your mind to. And uh, I wish someone had told me that when I was a kid. And there you have it. That was Humor and Mistakes on 103.5 FM with McNeil. We had Ellie Zarling here. And I hope to see you next week. Remember, everybody makes mistakes, but it's okay. Learn to find humor in your mistakes. We'll see you again next week. It'll be 2019. Go out there and accomplish your goals. Do whatever you want. Move to Cali. Do whatever. Do it. Do it. Punch a racist in the face. (laughs) We're out.